Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, week three in a three-week message series called You Are Here. And if you're just catching up, if you haven't been here for weeks one or two, uh, the You Are Here idea, it, you know, that little yellow arrow is, is what you're looking for. Anytime you're in an airport, anytime you're in an amusement park or a shopping mall, or anytime you're, you're trying to find your way around someplace that you don't, don't know how to quite navigate. It's great to know where you want to go. It's great to know what terminal you're looking for, what ride you're looking for, what store you're looking for. That's important information. It's good to know where you're, where you're headed. But it does you no good if you don't know where you are. So we've been talking the last couple of weeks about our location, where we are. And where we are is this. You have been invited into a vast, amazing story. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about how there is a calling on your life. And that's new information for some of you. Some of you just never pondered that. For you, a calling is something that only super holy people have upon their life. Callings are for pastors and monks and nuns and missionaries and professional Christians, and, and, and that's not you. And so we're, we're, we're kind of talking a little bit about how you, like ordinary, everyday, average you with your regular, like living your life, trying to pay your taxes on Long Island life, you have a calling on your life. Almighty God, the omnipotent creator of heaven and earth, knows your name and has invited you with specificity into his amazing story. And that's what we're doing here. Our church has a mission. Our church's mission statement, something we've been, we've been kind of uh, talking about the last couple of weeks. We are helping people discover their role in God's amazing story. That's what we're after. So the part you've been given to play in God's amazing story is going to look a little different for each of us because we all have different gifts and different lives and different things going on. But there are going to be three things for all of us, three things that will be universal across the board. If you're going to play the part God gave you to play, you're going to need to honor God, love others, and serve all. So we've been talking a little bit about what that looks like. In week one, we talked about honoring God and we talked about Lead character syndrome. Anybody remember talking about lead character syndrome? Anybody? I can't see. Nobody? Yeah, okay. Three of you remember what I said two weeks ago. That's <laughs> encouraging. Okay, lead character syndrome. If you are um, forgetful or just too lazy to raise your hand, the deal is, oh, not even a chuckle, Nothing. Are you guys properly caffeinated this morning? I'm getting a real serious drowsy vibe off of the room. I'm not sure. All right, so here's the deal. Lead character syndrome is something, it's actually a thing that's trending on the internet right now. It's the tendency for us to believe that we are the center of everything. It's, it's, it's a great explanation for why people have effectively forgotten how to behave in public, for why uh, people, you know, in, in movies and at concerts and on airplanes and in public spaces uh, often are, are, are acting out in ways that used to be less common. It wasn't that it never happened, but it was 
far less common. Lately, uh, there just seems to be a rash of, of people who kind of operate like they are the center of the universe. There's always been people who operate like that, but it's kind of come under a spotlight lately, and it's been given a name, lead character syndrome, and, and it was the first time I ever I read about this in a, in a news clip. I was like, that is some truth. I've been saying that for a very long time. If you have lead character syndrome, you are playing the lead role in an itty-bitty little story. It's a great role, but it's a tiny story. It's just the story of you. You have been invited, if you're going to honor God, to lay down that lead role and pick up a supporting role in something vast and amazing. It begins with believing God exists. It continues with believing that Jesus Christ, his son, lived on the earth, died and rose from the dead in payment for our sins. And from there, we move into responding to that. We respond to what Jesus did on our behalf by honoring God with the rest of our life, laying down our lead role in our little story and honoring him in lots of other ways. And then last week we talked about loving others. Loving others. Not just loving other people, but loving people who are other than us. We talked talked about loving those people. Remember that from last week? Those people. Those people are out there. Those people don't think like you. They don't act like you. They don't vote like you. They don't raise their children like you. They don't drive like you. They don't dress like you. They're they're just other. They're different. They're those people. And you've said things like, I can't believe those people think that way. I can't believe those people operate that way. I can't believe those people blah, 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 blah. And you've got this whole, this whole like category of people. Sometimes you're, you're, you're painting, you're waving a paintbrush at like a hundred million people. And to you, it's just those people. Loving others means you love others. Love people who don't operate like you. Doesn't mean you have to like them. Doesn't mean you have to sign off on everything they do and say. But we're called to love even our enemies. That's loving others. Today we come to the hardest part of this three-part formula. Serve all. Serving. This word begins with somewhat negative connotations in our society. Because if you serve, that makes you a very good servant. The two of you that got that right, it's perfect. (laughs) Servant makes you a servant. Yeah. And being a servant is not really something we naturally aspire to. None of you have ever looked at your son or daughter and said, sweetie, what do you want to be when you grow up? You've never heard, I want to be a servant. I want to be somebody's servant. Come on, come on, let's be, be honest. You don't want to be a servant. You want to have servants, right? I don't want to be a servant. I want to have servants. I want that Downton Abbey life where there's like 12 people trying to figure out what to feed me for dinner. That's what I want. I want somebody turning down the bed. I want somebody fixing everything. I want everywhere I go, there's people like making preparations. I want, I want people serving me. That's my natural inclination. And it's, that inclination is in you as well. We don't want to just serve others. We want to be served. So this is where the rubber hits the road. This is the hard part. This is where we, and I'm, not, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's easy to love those who are different than you. That takes work as well. But for this, this is the true snapping in half of lead character syndrome. And I'm going to read you some verses now uh, that are, I mean, to me, honestly, they're, just, this, this, these verses are like, they're a little disturbing 
Uh, and it's just going to illustrate to you vividly that we're not the first people on the planet to struggle with lead character syndrome. So we're about to, we're about to drop into the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And in these, in these verses, Jesus and the, and the uh, apostles are walking towards Jerusalem. And they're walking towards Jerusalem at the end of Jesus' life. This is nearing the end, yeah? So he knows what's about to happen to him. He knows what's about to go on. And he's walking with them. And he, he's just kind of explaining, like, I'm about to die. He's with his closest friends, and he's breaking down for them vividly what is about to happen in his life. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people followed behind, following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. This is a very heavy moment. These guys are good friends. They've been traveling together for several years, and Jesus is, is sharing like deep things with them. He said this stuff before. They never quite get it, but, but, but he's trying to help them understand. And, and, and this, is, this is difficult stuff for him. Now, I can think of several appropriate responses. If you're one of the 12, I can think of several appropriate responses to what Jesus just said. Because what Jesus just said to him is, fellas, look, we're heading up to Jerusalem. I know this doesn't land right on you, but I'm telling you, when we get there, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to my enemies. They're going to throw me in jail. Then they're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me with a whip. And then they're going to staple me to a cross, and I'm going to be executed. And, and you're going to think I'm gone but I'm not gone all the way. I'm coming back. That's what he's breaking down for them. Now, I can think of several appropriate potential responses to that. One of them might be, Jesus, no, no. We're not going to let that happen. We're going to defend you. We'll circle up. And what, then if we're, Why are we going towards that? Why don't we turn around and go the other way? Like, why are you walking towards all of that? Also, we could defend you. We're not going to let them touch you. I'll get some guys. I know a guy who knows a guy. We'll get some guys up here. We'll call some dudes up. We're not going to let them. We'll defend you. We'll make it. We'll, we won't let this happen. That's one potential. That would be an appropriate response to your friend telling you something. Here's another potentially appropriate response. Jesus, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know what to say. Can we, can we help? Is there something we could do to prevent this? Are you okay? Like, are you sure? Because you're the Messiah, and, and this doesn't make sense, and we're sort of, but what can we do? Like, there could have been some, they could have been protective of Jesus. They could have been compassionate towards Jesus. He's, he's burying his soul to them, and they just 
miss the boat. They don't say anything like that. Would you like to know what is said next? Would you like to know what the disciples do with all that stuff that Jesus just dumped on them? Here's the very next thing. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. Why? Because of main character syndrome. Because of main character syndrome. Jesus is in this dark place, and James and John are like, whoa, oh man, that's crazy. It's terrible. Wow. Anyway, hey, was wondering if you could do us a favor. And you can almost hear, can you hear the weariness in Jesus' reply? What is your request? Let's see what they want. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes. they were. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like They said it just like Macho Man Randy Savage. I'm, I'm certain of it. Oh, yeah, they replied. We're able. And then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism, with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other, actually, let's just stop right there. Let's hold, let's, let's tee up right there. Okay, so we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Well, you know, like someday you're going to be seen for who you are, right? Like people are going to know your messianess. You're going to come in glory and it's going to be revealed to everybody who you are. When that moment comes, we want to be, this is John, right? We want to be on your right and left. And then James jumps in and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know like how in Run DMC there's like three guys and there's one dude in the middle and there's two guys like. <laughs> we want to be those two guys just like. And Jesus just shakes his head. It's like you guys don't know what you're asking and you're so self-centered. Like, he doesn't break it down, but anyone reading this, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot help but be struck by the true tone-deaf response from these guys. There's no compassion. There's no anything. There's just, what am I going to get in this, from this? What am I going to get? 
How does this affect me? What's up with me? How does this, how is this going to affect my standing in the world? That's really what I'm primarily concerned about. This isn't a new thing. This goes back thousands of years. And then the other disciples catch wind of it. Now listen to this. Verse 41. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. A word we'll define in a moment. They were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. When the 10 other disciples catch wind of what James and John have done, they were indignant. Indignant means unhappy because of unfair treatment. They're unhappy because of unfair treatment. In other words, the 10 were not angry with James and John because of their insensitivity. They weren't going, guys, read the room. Can't you see he's in pain? What a terrible thing to ask. What's the matter with you? There's none of that. They're just indignant because they perceive unfair treatment, which is to say they're like, what about us? We We want to be in Run DMC too. We want to be at the thing. We want to be a part of the... And so you could just... You could feel Jesus going... Guys, how can I say it any plainer? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. In this world, rulers lorded over their servants... But among you, among my followers, it has to be different. If you want to lead, you serve. You want to be first in my kingdom, you serve everyone else, and I'm going to set the example for you. Luke chapter 9. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. I'm going to set the example for you. You try to make it all about you, this is what he's saying. It's very, very simple. You try to make it all about you, you lose. You can. You're free to do it. I've given you free will. You are, you are enabled by God to live for you with you at the center of your little story and, and try to have as many servants as you can and try to get, get as much as you can and live a life of ease and comfort and, and have no troubles. Like that's, If that's what you're after, maybe you'll find it. I don't know that you will, but maybe it's out there. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll find it and that'll be your deal. Jesus is 
saying, though, you've been invited into something bigger. And if you want to live that little story with you at the lead, you're going to lose in the long run. But if you're willing to be a little counterintuitive, if you're willing to have a tiny bit of faith and swim upstream against culture for just a minute, you might perceive that you've been invited into something vast and that although it swims upstream against this thought of I want to have servants, if you're willing to serve others, to put yourself last, you're going to see a whole new side of life. New doors are going to open for you and you're going to realize that this is where real life is. Follow me, he says. And you're going to have to put this to death every day. You're going to follow me. You want to be my disciple. You pick up your cross and you follow me daily. You pick up your cross daily and walk in my footsteps. That means, like, this isn't going to be a, yeah, great idea, Bert. That's a, that's a good sermon. Today I'm going to try to serve and I'm going to make a decision today and do that more. Yeah. This isn't going to be that. Because if you do that, I'm not... Not wrong with that, but if you do that, tomorrow you'll be right back to your own ways. This is something that has to be done daily. Daily we put to death our old nature. Daily we, we, we take that lead character syndrome and snap it in half and remember that we're playing a tiny, tiny part in a vast, amazing story. Following in Jesus' footsteps. We don't have time to unpack all of it, but at the Last Supper, Jesus makes arrangements. He makes all the arrangements. He arranges for a room. He arranges for a table. He arranges for food and wine, and it's their last gathering. The one thing Jesus doesn't arrange, the one thing he doesn't, and very conspicuously absent, is a servant to wash everyone's feet, to rinse off their feet. Now, that sounds like a weird thing to me and you. Uh, we don't have people do that today, but... In the first century, everybody wore sandals, and the roads were not paved. So everyone's feet were kind of dusty when they came in. And they didn't sit at high tables and high chairs the way we do. They kind of reclined a lot closer to the floor. So it's not like a whole big, long thing, but there would always be, if you were invited to somebody's house for dinner, uh, even if they couldn't afford a servant, one of their children would be there to just rinse off your feet real quick. But it's clear that that person is, is beneath the guest list. So when the disciples get to the room for the Last Supper and there's no servant, it's awkward. It's one of those things they would have noticed immediately. They're kind of looking around going, uh, hmm, this is uh, weird. Are we just going to sit like this? Like, is there not, we're not going to, I don't know, this is kind of, huh, it's kind of a weird thing. And there's a little bit of, it just, there would have been some tension in the air and nobody steps up. Nobody says, hey, you know what, guys? I got it. I'll do it. And then, in what was surely the most awkward moment of their time with Jesus, hands down, Jesus strips to the waist, ties out a cloth around his, his, his waist, and gets down on his hands and knees, and, and one at a time washes the disciples' feet, which was surely... Which surely prompted responses of, oh, no, no, Jesus, no, 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 not you. I'll do it. Like, now probably everybody wants to do it. Now everyone's like, oh, no, 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 don't worry, Jesus. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. 
follow me. Follow my example as I humble myself, as I put myself last to honor God. Follow me in this. And he, he, he does... It's unthinkable. He's God incarnate washing their feet. And that's what we're called to. That's, that's how we're called to operate, to love others, to serve, to put ourselves last. Final verse for the day. I know I hit you with a lot of scripture today. Last verse for the day. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. When I memorized that verse, I was in college, and it came in a different translation. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others to be better than yourselves. I like this, this translation, though. It says, don't, don't live to impress others, which is basically what everybody is doing on social media. Don't, don't live for you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Walk in humility and consider others to be better than you. In doing so, you will honor God. You'll find yourself loving even those who are other than you. And you will find yourself embedded in the most amazing adventure your life has ever seen. This insane thing, this vast, exciting, amazing story that God has invited us into as he does what he wants to do in the world. It's not to be missed. Don't walk past that invitation because you got lead character syndrome and you want it to be all about you. Decide today that your life was meant to be leveraged for something bigger. What we're going to do now is celebrate communion to mark this moment. So I want to invite you, when you guys came in, you each got one of these. And I want to invite you now to uncover the side with the wafer in it. And perhaps just take a moment to reflect. And as Jesus was crucified and laid down his life for us, so may we respond by following him to lay down our lives to serve others. And on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the body of Christ. And after the same manner, when he had given thanks, he took the cup and he gave it to them saying, take and drink. This is my blood, 
the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me. Father God, we love you so much and we want to follow you. We don't want to make it all about us. We don't want to live our lives as the lead character in this tiny little story. We've tried and we're bored and we're frustrated and we're never satisfied and it's just left us empty. Would you quicken our hearts and fill us with faith today to pick up that role that you've given us to play, that supporting role in your vast, amazing story. Would you fill us with courage enough and faith enough to step out and follow you, to honor you with our life, to love those who are other than we are, and to serve all. May that be true in each one of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.